When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're listening to the Impact Theory Podcast, your source of empowering ideas and actionable techniques from the world's highest achievers. Join host Tom Bilyeu, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the billion-dollar brand Quest Nutrition, on a journey to unlock your potential and realize your vision of success. Welcome to Impact Theory. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of After Impact. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I am here with the amazing and talented Agent Smith. Mr. Bilyeu. What's up, my man? Too kind, too kind. Ah, uh, earned, I assure you. Um, good, man. I just uh, just finished the move. You did? North. Yeah. You rat bastard. <laughs> like, you are moving to San Jose for anybody that doesn't already know this man He's just changing everything. He and his wife are moving to San Jose, and we are going to lose him. I am very sad to report. But anybody taking notes on how to be the world's most respectful exit from a company, you have my applause, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, yeah, just living that uh, bi-cal life. There it is. That's, uh, it's not bi-coastal, it's bi-cal. That's good. Back and forth here. I'm still workshopping that, but, you know. That's good. It warms (laughs) up well. All right. So, um, yeah. Let's, uh, let's dive into After Impact, the show where we unpack the impact of this is. week's episode with Impact Theory. Pointing at the camera, even though... Even though this is pretty much podcast ever going to see yeah. that. Um, this week, Isaac Lidsky. Really, really awesome. Awesome story. Yes. Awesome guy. Um, let's just dive right in. Let's do it. I want to go into the meaty stuff, because this, this episode starts off like pretty philosophical, right? Um, so he breaks down really how losing his sight was such this life-changing, transformative mm-hmm. moment, and it became sort of a metaphor for him about perspective and changing your perspective. And so I get that our eyesight gives us this data that our brain then constructs a reality around. But help me understand, why does it matter? Wow. So... The key word in what you just said was constructs. It constructs a reality. And so my thesis at the core of like my belief system is that the whole world is inaccurate. And I don't want to use the word lie because that's so loaded, but the world is inaccurate. So your brain is creating a representation based on a certain spectrum of light, um, which he joked and said, you know, we call it the visible spectrum, but that's only us for whom has, you know, that particular limitation. And 
all of uh, the creatures in the world have some limited spectrum. I don't think there's anything that sees the entire available spectrum of light radiation. If it did, I'd be afraid of it. (laughs) That is a very good point. It's basically the predator, right? Yeah, exactly. Who can cycle through like uh, the different... you know, bands of, of radiation. So it, knowing that, A, just from our, what um, David Eagleman, the mm. um, neuroscientist, calls our Mr. Potato Head inputs of the eyes and the ears and so on <laughs> and so forth, like knowing we're already limited by that, just the, what the eye um, takes in, and then on top of that, what we need in order to navigate or choices that evolution has made like stereophonic um, views so that we're seeing in true 3D um, so that our eyes are on the same plane facing forward versus which normally that's what predators have and then prey to create a 360 degree view have eyes on either Mm. side of their head. Um, So very different ways of taking the world and people think of those as sort of being objectively real and forgetting oh those were choices right Mm. and different animals have radically different senses of sight and um so that already is uh the first thing to understand and then understanding that your brain makes its best guess as to what's in areas that it can't see so to limit the amount of processing that's needed for the visual spectrum what you're looking at directly is the only part that's actually in focus now if you really want to freak yourself out you're looking at me right now i'm looking at you nothing seems out of focus even the things in my peripheral seem in focus but in reality they're wildly out of focus and you can hide things in people's peripheral vision is crazy. And they say that it's about akin, the the level of focus that it actually is, is about akin to when you're looking through those windows in the bathroom. Like <laughs> that's how out of focus it is. <clears throat> now, the one that really freaks people out is understand right at the center of your vision where the optic nerve connects to the actual eyeball, you have an area where it's not receiving any input. So it's a blank area. It's totally you're, black, you're devoid of anything. I don't believe you. true. You can can read everything. I know, right? You can, there's this thumbnail test, which I forget how to do, but there's a certain distance that if you hold your thumbnail or your thumb away from your eyes and bring it into a certain area of focus, you can make like somebody's head disappear and all this stuff. It's really pretty interesting, but it's where you're forcing your eyes to line up those two blind spots right on top of each other. And so that area then goes blank. And the reason that's important is because of what you just said, which is you don't experience it whatsoever. So that's where you really begin to understand that your brain is telling you a story. It's saying, this is what's there. And Isaac sums it up by saying, it's not what you think, it's what you know. When you look at something, you know it's there. And he said he had this experience one time where he was washing his hands in the sink. He knew he was washing his hands in the sink. And then he fucking realized he had his hands in a urinal. And he was like, but up until that moment, I knew I was touching a sink. And he said, once you realize it's just a construct, your brain is making that stuff up, you begin to realize how plastic and editable reality really is. Mm-hmm. But because it's, it's happening to us, in essence, people feel like, oh, that's just the way that it is. And my whole thesis in life, and definitely Isaac would agree with this, is if this is what's happening, you're allowing it to happen to you, take control of that and decide to see, to know, things that empower you and encourage you to move forward in a positive way. Because it's all a construct, meaning it's all made up. Again, I'm just avoiding the word lie, but you could substitute. It's all just a lie. It's all made up, and you've chosen to believe this. So if all the negative, hateful, hurtful, diminishing, horrifying things are simply things you've chosen to believe, choose to believe something else, because neither is more real than the other, 
but one of them propels you forward in a positive and uplifting way, and one tears you down. That's great. So on the uh, story of the urinal that was he thought was a sink, or he knew was a sink, right? Yes. It made me think of, you know when you go into the kitchen and you see that ice-cold glass of Sprite or 7-Up, and you're like, ooh, I want that tasty, and you take a sip of it, to use a different sense, um, and then it's water. Yep. But for the first half a second, you're tasting Sprite for sure. And it's such a weird like brain trick. Um, how do we, in, like mentally, how do we start to shatter those types of illusions, those things that we know are true about ourselves, about the world, and break through and start to change them? For me, it, it really was about neuroscience. It's about what we're talking about right now. It's about accepting the truth that there is a dime-sized blind spot at the center of your vision that you don't experience because your brain is capable of filling it in. It's about understanding that there is um, so much more, uh, it's, it's hard to use, there's so much more light radiation, I guess is the, the only honest way to say it. And so in theory, there are just like a much broader way to perceive the world than what we perceive. And yet we are utterly convinced that that is the sum total of the world. And so for me, understanding, oh, this is all not only a lie, it's a limited lie. And so if like what my brain coughs up to me is its best attempt to keep me safe and keep me alive and allow me to navigate the world without bumping into too much shit, like, okay, great. But I can then just as easily substitute different beliefs that serve me more, that help me move towards my goals, that allow me to believe in myself more than maybe I did before I realized that my brain was essentially playing tricks on me with the best of intentions, but nonetheless playing tricks on me, making me see things that weren't necessarily there. I believed that I was talentless. I believed I was never going to amount to anything. And it wasn't until I was like, oh, that's not based on reality. That's based on some fear that my brain has. It, it's based on some experience that I had that I took to be a permanent state instead of an alterable um, state that you know I could change what I was good at, that I could learn something, I could grow, push myself, get better, adapt. Like Once you flip that belief, then all of a sudden it's like I'm living in the same world I was living in five minutes ago, but now the world is editable because I believe it's editable. I can get better because I believe I can get better. And so... Th- like. Once you start doing that, then everything opens up and changes. Did I actually answer your question, though? Yeah, I, I guess I want to get even more tactical. Like, what are the steps? What are the things you say to yourself? What are the things you write down? What are the actions you take to start changing that belief system? So going back to the thing that, that really helped me, which was neuroscience, the things you want to do are understanding that what you repeat hardwires in your brain. So your brain is always optimizing for efficiency. So whatever you do a lot, it's just going to, um, through a process called myelination, it's going to make that pattern of thoughts easier. Um, so it wraps this fatty tissue around the connection points between your um, synapses to make sure that the electrical impulses can travel um, faster and, and more easily. And so what you repeat to yourself is the first step that people need to take control of. And you need to repeat things that are empowering. So um, one of the things that I repeat is I can get good at anything that um, I set my mind to. So, And by set my mind to, I mean that I practice in a disciplined fashion, that I identify a goal and I work my way backwards, understanding the skills that I need to acquire. And then how do I, through um, repetition and, and intentional 
practice, meaning if there's a part of something that I'm not good at, that rather than just focus on my strengths, which has become this like thing that people like to say, I'm going to say, well, no, to get where I want to go, I have to get good at this part. And I'm not naturally good at that. So um, I'm going to put time and effort into making sure that I get good at that by breaking it down into its constituent parts and doing it over and over and over until I get good at that. Um, and so that's really the thing. Like I, I will tell you um, if people listen to the rate at which I speak, if they think that that's just naturally how I got there, that's to misunderstand the number of hours that I put into it. And I'll do things, and here's an example of discipline practice. I'll say, okay, for the next whatever, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, I'm not gonna say the word um under any circumstance. I, I may pause, I may really think about what I'm gonna say, but I'm not going to say um. Mm. And when you do that enough times, you just start doing it less and less and less. So mm -hmm. when I do impact theory, for instance, or impact quotes, excuse me, um, um, cause I'm not actually doing it right now, but, uh, <clears throat> one thing that Lisa said is I don't, she doesn't think people understand that I do those in a single take, that it's not multiple things cut together that I just from start to finish, I do it not always in the, on the first try, although usually I'll say about 85% of the time it's the first try, sure, maybe 90% of the time, but I don't say, um, I don't, um, and awe and all that stuff. And the reason is that I've practiced that. So taking something like that and saying, I'm going to do a bit of repetition. I'm going to practice this over and over and over so that I can get better at it. So that really becomes the key to practice. So practicing things, doing it in a disciplined fashion, working backwards from your goal, those are some of the most critical things that you can do, doing them over and over and over, and just having a few go-to mantras like, I can learn anything that I set my mind to, that the only belief that matters is belief that you can grow and change. That's something that I think about a lot, so that I remind myself that just because I'm not good at it now doesn't mean I can't get good at it in the future. And then another one that I really beat into my head is yet. I'm not good at this yet. And simply throwing that on not only reminds me that what, whatever state I'm in right now is not a permanent state of affairs, but also that it's about me doing the work. I'm not good at this yet implies ownership to me that I'm only going to get good at this if I work at it. Mm -hmm. And look, I could go on and on. If you haven't already, go to impacttheory.com and download the 25 point 25 point impact theory belief system. Cause that, those are really the things that I repeat. Mm -hmm. And for the, let's say the example you gave of not saying, um, in a period of time, is that, do you keep a running list of things that you're trying these micro things that you're trying to improve? I keep a running list of things that are important for the business to do. And sometimes that'll include a set of skills or something, Sure, but no, honestly, like not usually. Usually what I'm focused on is more um, stuff that like is sort of big ticket items for the business. And then my just like meditative thinking will circle around things like, oh, I should really get better and not saying um and things mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. And that's more time like in the shower. So I don't I no longer listen to books in the shower because I want to use that time as, as meditative thinking. Um, so that's the honest answer. And as I answer this, it, that may be suboptimal. So I'm not saying that as prescriptive. Oh, that's how people should do it because maybe there's a missed opportunity in there mm. for me. Okay. So much of this episode, I mean, Isaac is incredibly well-spoken, um, can really articulate, <laughs> can really articulate his ideas around how he transformed over the course of his life thus far. And just a lot of things that it was one of those episodes where I'm going through after impact I'm, I'm reviewing it and I'm thinking about questions to ask. And it's like, 
it's kind of just a highlight reel. You know, mm-hmm. everything he said was just so on point. So a lot of my questions are going to be, what was your reaction to this? What are your thoughts on this? So one of the stories I really liked was when he was talking about how he bought the cement factory. Um, the failing cement the, factory. Right. I love that. He says that, you know, he's talking about how you shouldn't look at success as it was just guaranteed. This person was super talented. You also shouldn't get caught up in your own success. Read your press release, I think he said too much, which I loved. And he said, you know, looking back on the cement factory, that that company, which is very successful now, um, he asked, was was he a visionary genius for buying that? And he was like, no, it was a disaster. It was a terrible decision. Mm -hmm. But then he worked his way through it and worked his way out of it. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. I think that's so smart to look at it that way. And one thing that drives me nuts and people do this a lot is I promise you when he says, no, it was a mistake. It was a total disaster. Then people go, but look how it turned out. How can you say it was a mistake? You can't have regrets. Like that, that's a really bizarre way to look at life. In my opinion, the reality is it was a bad decision that he ended up flipping and making powerful. But if he had taken that same resourcefulness and applied it to something that was already winning, then he may be way ahead of where he is today. So having the sobriety to look at that and go, that was a real mistake, means he won't make that mistake in the future because he didn't do his due diligence properly. And he didn't catch a pretty obvious mistake that he caught within a matter of weeks once he was actually inside the company and running it. So if he says, no, I did everything right, and then just approaches everything the same way the next time, oh, whatever happens, I'll be able to figure it out, he may really find himself in a world of hurt. So I think being honest with yourself about what you did well, what you did poorly is really, really critical. Hearing him have that level of sobriety about that, I thought this is why this guy's gonna win because he doesn't need to mollycoddle himself about every decision, which is where I think a lot of people are still because their mm-hmm. self-esteem is built around being right. And mm-hmm. so for them, it's like this big self-esteem hit to say, oh yeah, I made a total mistake there. And that to me is sad because I know they haven't like broken through to that next plane where it's like you can really assess yourself honestly without diminishing your self-esteem. That's critical. And, and he's really good at that. Yeah. Um, one of the things he says is perspective is not the same thing as vision. Uh, what do you see as the difference between perspective and vision? So you have to keep in mind this is coming from a guy that lost his vision. Yeah. And when you understand that there's looking at something objectively, what we'll call vision, as it is, actually just seeing it, and then perspective saying, this is where I'm at, this is my emotional state, this is my take on the world. Like, I will just tell you right now, me and somebody who's very pessimistic or scared by nature or whatever, we're gonna look at a situation very, very differently. Um, and, and that can be very beneficial. So for instance, Lisa and I, um, we definitely do not have the same perspective. We might look at the same thing and share that same like, okay, this is that situation, but I'll look at it and see like, okay, this is where it could lead. This is the opportunity. This is how it could be something. And what she sees is this is what we'd have to do to execute against it. And so that's been really powerful for us as partners is for me to, I can dream big and I can dream aggressively and think about all the stuff because I know she's going to come along behind me and go, but this is the path to execution. Is that actually what you want to do? And that's an example because as you well know, we literally just came off a meeting where that happened, where I was talking about something that in the abstract was really powerful and I think could be a really big deal. And then she rightly said, but executing against that, is that really where you want to allocate these resources? And I was like, wow, what a great point. And it's so funny to me that even all these years later, even knowing that that is absolutely my blind spot, 
I'm still like, wow, yeah, I didn't think through that. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's really interesting. And, and I think you and I talked about this before. One thing that I will encourage you as you um, think about the next role that you take, you need to find somebody that, that dreams big and wants somebody to point out the flip side of that coin mm. because that isn't what you do by nature. Right. But you're very thoughtful about knowing that there needs to be somebody that's thinking opportunity and not just opportunity cost and not just like the potential downsides. And you'll create a great yin yang relationship, mm-hmm. which I have very much enjoyed in our relationship. Um, and that, that is the difference between vision and perspective. And really, as certainly from an entrepreneurial standpoint, really respecting the different perspectives mm-hmm. and not like, I've worked with people before where they wanted to browbeat everyone into having the same perspective because they didn't like being challenged. Mm. That's so dumb. Like you've got to want diversity of opinion and diversity of perspective, just to keep it on topic here. And one thing that I've learned is that if it's a good idea, it can survive criticism. And if it's not a good idea, then thank God it had the criticism (laughs) and that you realize that right away. Right. Uh, one of the stories that Isaac tells is about the fire hydrant and how he was complaining to uh, a doctor mm-hmm. um, about <clears throat> running into fire hydrants and how much it hurt. And she just said, well, if you learn to use a cane, you won't do that anymore. Yeah. It's just a simple solution um, that he couldn't wrap his head around at that moment. So it's sort of a, the lesson is really like finding ways to help yourself. What are the things that you're bumping into that are slowing you down that are constricting you, that you can find a solution for, you're just not like allowing yourself to, to look at it. So how do you recognize those fire hydrants in your life? I'm gonna answer the, the question slightly differently because I think this is the single most important thing he talked about in the episode. Mm. And I wanna demystify the world for people, and this is what Isaac was talking about in the episode, and he realized there is no capital B blindness. And what he means by capital B blindness is some terrifying monster that is some totally unknown world that you can't imagine, like the singularity, right? So in technology, the singularity is a point at which technology changes so rapidly that as human beings, we can't even contemplate it. We can't even begin to understand what that world will look like. And so that's how he thought of blindness, that it was going to be this thing Mm -hmm. that happened all of a sudden and that it was a world he couldn't possibly comprehend or imagine and it was going to be terrible and horrible and that's how he imagined capital B blindness. And then when he was talking to her in that moment, what he realized is, It's just a bunch of fire hydrants, meaning he would bump his shins on fire hydrants because they were low enough and he wouldn't see them and he would whack into them. And he realized, oh, there's no mystery to all this. Mm. There's nothing um, that's sort of big, grand and beyond what I know and can imagine. And if I get a cane, which addresses that problem, that's really all life is. It's a series of things that you bump into and each of them has a cane-like solution. Mm -hmm. And if I stop worrying about finally coming to grips with this amorphous blob of emotional destruction and instead just go, oh, I'm gonna hit my shin, but there's gonna be a solution for that, then I can get where I wanna go. Now, everybody lean in. That is true of everything in your life. That is true of, oh, you just found out that you're pregnant or your girlfriend or wife is pregnant. 
okay, it, it's going to be like that. There's no grand mystery. There's going to be a bunch of fire hydrants coming your way and there's going to be solutions to all that. You want to launch a business and you have no idea what you're doing. There's going to be a bunch of fire hydrant problems and you're going to figure your way around that. You're trying to move up in your career and let's say you just got promoted and now you feel in over your head. You're going to be able to learn about it. You're going to be able to figure this stuff out. Now, I remember as a kid, every summer I would get nigh panicky as the new year was about to begin because I was convinced that they would just expect me to know. And my mom would have to remind me every year, maybe they teach you. They teach you and then they ask you if you understand it. And I remember I needed that reassurance every year. First, they're going to teach me. And so if you look at life like that, yes, you're going to encounter things you don't understand, but you can learn about it. Like there is a very simple cane-like solution to every fire hydrant. And if people could just understand that, all the things that they think they could never do, they just, they're, they're all going to go away. If you realize it's just a problem and it does have a solution and you just have to take it one step at a time and figure that stuff out. So it's about changing your perspective on that. And then is it about just taking action? Taking action. Action is the most information-rich data stream, period. And so, yes, like getting out there, trying something, trying a cane. If that doesn't work, trying something else. And my obsession is getting people to understand that. Like just take the first step. Just, people are so worried about how they're going to feel about themselves and how hard other people are going to laugh when they fail. And it's like if they can just get over that, like – Right now, my heart is so full with wanting people to really, really get this. And sometimes I, I feel like just aggression and I want to yell at people. <laughs> but right now, I just, for a second, please understand everybody listening. There's a beautiful, amazing world that opens up to you when you get that booze don't block dunks. That no matter how much people make fun of you or no matter how stupid you feel, you can try again a little bit smarter and see then if the next time it works and the next time and the next time and the next time. And on a long enough timeline, you're going to figure it out. Like if you just keep going, keep staying open-minded to, and instead of going, well, this means I'm an idiot. It just means I don't know enough yet and I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to keep getting better. You will be astonished over a long enough timeline how unimaginably good you can get at something if you're just persistent and keep after it. But the thing that really messes with people is it sucks to be laughed at and it sucks to think you're dumb. And as long as you think that all of those are just temporary, that like I can get better and the, the, the self-soothing mechanism that I have that is my superpower is I know that I can get better at this. And so when I'm like, whoa, I'm really bad at this and I just really embarrass myself and I know people are making fun of me and I know now they think I'm gonna fail and all of that. And I just think, you know what, that's okay. I'm gonna get better at this. I'll just keep going. And that's my whole shtick is I'm just gonna keep going and keep going and keep going. And people aren't yet looking at, like people are, especially in this community and thank you each and every one, like they're so ready to clap for me for the things that I've already gotten good at. And they don't realize my whole life is about right now trying to figure out like comic books and movies and TV shows and that behind the scenes I'm going into um, things where like nobody knows who I am or what I'm doing like literally. So we have a, um, a part, I haven't even told you this, I just got the email. And so in the world of fitness and nutrition, kind of a big deal, right? right? Because right. of what we did with Quest. Right. But that's the past. And I'm trying to build something new in the future. And so I want to get the comic book rights to Ready Player One. And the people that 
represent me in matters like that. We're like, yeah, um, <laughs> why don't you, let's wait. And when you announce the comic book that you have coming up, because they know all the cool secret behind the scenes stuff that's going to happen around that. Um, they're like, when you do that, the world is going to take you more seriously. And the subtext was, no one's going to take you seriously. Like, if we walk you into that room, it's basically going to be a black eye for us that we brought in you now at right. this point in your career. So, like, we don't want to um, go to bat. And, like, that doesn't diminish me, though. And so I know I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to figure this stuff out. I'm going to figure out how do I get better in the room? How do I blow people away? And I shamelessly walked into Warner Brothers DC over a year ago now and said, give me the rights to the Matrix. And the punchline of that story is, who the fuck are you? <laughs> right? So it's like, you've got to like be willing to do that stuff yeah. and just like keep putting yourself out there and keep figuring it out. And in that room, I began to understand like what they're looking for and like what their fears are and you know, what makes sense to them and all that. So like that's the world I really try to live in. And I want people to watch me do that. I want people to see what I'm doing there. Like, look yeah. at how we're going to build this other thing, which is we have no cloud in whatsoever. And we are starting from scratch like everybody else. And see how I move there and see how action is always my answer because I'm going to learn. That's awesome. All right, a couple more questions. <laughs> One, um, you know, so Isaac has this incredible law career, works for the Supreme Court, um, goes and to a, you know, one of the best law firms, has the office in Manhattan, you know, up in the skyscraper. And he's grinding 70, 80 hour work weeks and realizes that that is not what he wants to do. And he leaves the law firm. And so much of, I think, our content and even our space, you know, this, this talk of the grind, like working con um, countless hours as long as it takes, you know, it, it sort of gets reinforced a lot. And he said that that's not what he wanted and he wanted to spend more time with his family. So, like, talk about that story, what it means, why it's important to, like, really understand, you know, the value in, in, in him making that decision. I think the key is really understand what you want and don't live anybody else's life. The interesting part is for a while, once he took the business, he was working more than he'd ever worked. Mm -hmm. And so the one thing I don't want people to get confused is you won't achieve greatness without putting in an inhuman amount of hours. You just, sure. You're never going to. He's built his business, however, knowing that that's not what he wants. So he's building his business in such a way that other people can run it for him. So he's putting in just a ton of time and energy on the upfront to build that culture, to make sure that there are other people that can do all the things that he doesn't want to spend his time doing, and then he can step away. So figuring out what life is that you really want and then deciding if you want to play at that level, like do you want to be the best in the world at something? Um, because there is a price that that demands for sure. But I want everybody to know that that is not a better life than a life that's about enjoying your time with your family and loving um, a good book and relaxing and living a life that doesn't require a massive amount of capital or whatever the case may be. And I thought it was summed up really well by Ray Dalio in Principles. And he said, I don't know if my life 
led to more fulfillment for me than somebody who sought to optimize for a stress-free life. He's like, I don't know. And he said, I just know that it's the life I wanted to live. Mm-hmm. And I thought that one, like there is no other way to say it. I want people to understand. I work as hard as I work because I am on fire. I'm so excited, dude. Like I'm so excited to, to see if I can solve these problems, to mm-hmm. play on a world stage, to see how far can I push myself? How far from the kid that I was, the scared, alone, feeling dumb, like how far from that can I go? Can I really impact the world? Can I really do something where people are going to remember my name? Like, can I? And that's fun for me. And that is interesting to me. And what I'll be interested to see is if I build this and it's something that's on a trajectory to be bigger than Disney, will I just start over again? That feels more true to my personality, if I'm completely honest. Because I like to build. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the fun for me. Maintaining is not very interesting. I like to build. Um, And so... Knowing like what is going to lead you to fulfillment, I think is the really important question. And he knows himself and he's honest with himself about what he wants. And if that meant making less money, he was more than happy to do it. And I think that that's brilliant. Know thyself. Yeah, I love that. One last question. Uh, Isaac tells a really cool story at the end of the episode about how um, when he was in these board meetings that... You know, he kind of asked, do people agree? And he couldn't see that they were all nodding. So he had to ask them to verbally communicate that to him and go around the room. And of course, once they do that, he realizes that not everyone agrees or people feel, you know, in between or they have different opinions and it led to all these great discussions. Um, Did this change, did that story change how you approach like some of our team meetings here? Is that something that you want to try to apply at Impact Theory? It probably should, if I'm honest. It was one of those, oh, that's so smart. And then I had no intention of doing anything with it. But it is really, really smart. And when I was re-watching the episode so we could film this, I was thinking about that. And I thought, wow, you know, that's actually really, really smart to get people to verbalize. Mm. Because there's yes, and there's yes, (laughs) right? Like the difference between those two things is so massive And really forcing people to articulate their stance, I think, is really, really important. And I thought that that was hilarious, that that was born out of people are so used to just like nodding along. And and that nodding is really a, a lesser form of agreement than verbalizing. And if nobody is verbalizing, then you probably don't have the level of agreement that you think you do. Mm-hmm. You certainly don't have the excitement because when people are really excited, they want to say something, they want to externalize it in some way, uh, unless they're nodding until it looks like their head's going to fall off. Um, so yeah, that, that was really, really interesting. I'm still in a loop around how do we really get principles put into position? Mm-hmm. Because I think especially in this group, because we have a bunch of people that are pleasers. Mm. How do we get people to say the hard things? I I think people here are less worried about hearing something hard. Like they're all for it. Like, yeah, tell me the hard thing. I'm all for it. I want to get better. I want to improve. But then saying the hard thing, like that's a bit of a sticking point. And so that's something that is like, could Isaac's philosophy of just making people verbalize something and the, the like disharmony of, not wanting to lie because I don't think people would lie. And so if maybe making them vocalize just something, anything, would then lead us down a path of just more principled dialogue. And that's something I am beyond desperate for. Yeah, that's super interesting. Uh, All right, that's it for After Impact today. That's all the time we have. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. 
This is amazing. We continue the countdown until our man, Agent Smith's departure. Um, so hopefully you guys are enjoying your time with him as much as I am. <laughs> and if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.